0: When I first started working at Door, this was the car that I drove. It's a 1978 VET. That's what I would tell people if they weren't actually there to look at it. 1978 Chevette. I bought this car for a few hundred bucks right before I had to go to Grand Rapids and finish some denominational penance um, in order to get ordained in the denomination that I'm in. And while I was there... Um, I had this incredible experience where I didn't know anybody, um, I probably had less money at that moment in time um, than ever before in my life, and the car broke down. And I remember going into the mechanic and just not knowing what I was going to do and wondering if I was going to have to be like sweeping floors in the back of the shop for the next several months in order to be able to afford the repairs that had to happen. And. Uh, He smiled at me, this kind of mischievous smile, and slid the bill over, and it had been stamped, paid in full, on top. And I never really knew what to do with the situation. He just kind of winked at me, and kind of made it sound like, you don't really get it, the car is only the beginning. Just the things in our own life that God does, and I I sort of felt like it was weird, like this cat puke brown car had like this anointing on it or something. (laughs) My circumstances changed and I was gainfully employed, no longer in school. And um, I had this moment one time when I was in a conversation with someone who was at a terrible spot in their life. And um, they were in a real hard financial pinch and their car had just broken down. And I would just gotten a new pickup. And I felt the Holy Spirit like prompt me in that moment. I'd rarely do things like this, and I was very impulsive, and I, I really felt like God was telling me, give him the car. So I gave it away, and in that moment, and I miss it dearly, but that notion of like, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. I had another great memory with that car one time, I was at this massive megachurch in Grand Rapids, and we were pulling out of the parking lot, where there's so many people who go to church that they actually like have all these people directing traffic. And this guy comes up beside me in in a BMW 700 series, like this absolutely gorgeous, very expensive car, and trying to sound super cool, he's like, bro, I don't trade straight up. I didn't even answer, I just got out of the car and started walking over. I'm like, deal, right? Like, I will take, and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa!" I was just kidding, right? We ended up having this funny conversation. And I don't blame him for wanting to trade. 78 Vets and metallic Cat Puke Brown are kind of rare. Um, But we had this weird moment, and I walked away from that thinking, um, well, one that was really odd and really funny, but wouldn't it have been awesome? Like if he actually would have followed through and I would still be driving this car today? Yes and no. But what I did walk away from that kind of thinking it was a thought that's rolled in my mind for a really, really, really long time, and it came back again reading through the book of Galatians. Because I feel like Paul's going to the people in Galatians over and over again, and why he kind of even gets angry at them, where he's like, somebody offered you an incredible trade-up from law to spirit. Somebody offered you the BMW 700 series, and you're like, no, no, I'm good with the vet. Like, that that's kind of what I get the impression I get as I keep reading the book of Galatians over and over again. Like the people are refusing to accept the incredible offer. And what I wanted to do this week and was kind of, I read back through Galatians and imagine, what if it wasn't the Galatians that Paul was speaking to in this situation, but Americans, Canadians, the other 26 countries that make up our campus community body. Would he say the same things to us? Are we also people who want kind of the behavioral modification Christianity and not the community Christianity? Do we want, in the words of Mark Sayers, the kingdom without the king? Do we want to be adopted into sonship but not actually have a father that we're walking in relationship with? We're a family that we call our own. That we're selective about the benefits, but the one thing we won't ever give up is our pride. Now, one of the things I think that makes it so hard for us in this, if we can just be honest with each other, is that as evangelical Christians today, living on the other side of the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason and everything else, it's really hard for us to move beyond a cerebral Christianity to one that legitimizes the experiences of the Holy Spirit. Reformed Christians, in particular, have a very tenuous relationship with the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's the person within the Trinity that we trust the least, that we talk to the least, that we name the least in our prayers, and that we talk about to others the least. And yet the absence of him is what provokes the greatest anger in, all, in Paul in all of his epistles. Because there is something significantly legitimate about the experiences that we are called to have in the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're switching gears now from sort of the conflict and resolution piece that we had saw in chapter two between Paul and Peter, as as Paul comes back to Jerusalem and kind of finds this reconciliation and, and points of agreement, but also contention at times with Peter, and now we kind of switch gears. He really turns his focus now on the congregation themselves after telling his own story. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Imagine your pastor writing this letter to you. You foolish Americans. This is pretty. He, he certainly has our attention, doesn't he? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then. That those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by, by faith. He's telling him this goes all the way back, all the way back to the founding and the calling of God's people. This, is, this was the end game. This was the plan. This isn't some deviation. This is what God had in mind all the time. So why are we being resistant to this? Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. He goes through all of this, and he goes all the way back to the beginning of the calling of God's people and say, this was the end game. This was it. It was to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So if all of that was put in place to get to this, why are we not wanting to receive this in all of its fullness? And I understand that we've heard stories of abuses of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we see already even in 1 Corinthians, Paul's frustration with people elevating some gifts among others. And it's our natural human tendency to use all of our human differences to rank and classify people and it's some of the worst sins of all humanity. We've done it by race. We've done it by gender. We love doing this. We've brought this into the church. And we do it with gifts. And so sometimes I think we're so afraid that we don't know how to get in and drive a BMW 700 series that we're like, we'll just leave it there instead. And that's not a reason not to. Or we're afraid that, what do we do with sort of these more charismatic expressions that I can't really explain and I can't really always make sense of? What do I do with the fact that I maybe prayed for the ability to speak in tongues and it hasn't happened in my life? And so what does that mean about my relationship with the Holy Spirit? I think there are certain things like this where simply our lack of understanding or our fear. There's multiple times in Paul's letters where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about this stuff. I want you to know these things because this is so much about what you're going to have to live out in the Christian life, and it's so important, which is why I'm trying to imagine a pastor being like, guys, we can't afford to get this wrong. You foolish Galatians. Are you so foolish? Why is the language in here so harsh, if not for the simple reason that Paul thinks there's something significant." about the gospel that's at stake if they miss this. And again, his obsession comes with all of this is for the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit after beginning by means of the Spirit? Does God give you his Spirit? The angriest we've ever seen Paul is when Christians are trying to operate without the Holy Spirit. How much of you and I since we woke up this morning engaged in some sort of conversation, even just internally, with a desire that the steps of our day today would be walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget a conversation I had with Robert Taylor years ago, where he had told me that was his most oft-repeated prayer. Just want to walk in step with the Spirit. Just want to walk in step with the Spirit. And it stuck with me. That rang out. In my head because if you read the book of Galatians that's where he's going in the end that's the end game and he says in fact right, you want to be free from all these sinful patterns in your life it's not about a behavior modification project when you become a Christian it's not about trying harder to eliminate these things it's like what Sam talked about last week it's about falling more fully and freely into God into Christ into his promises and what he had in mind to do in us and for us through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology is probably the hardest part of theology. It's really difficult, It's probably why John Calvin and the Institutes wrote book one on the Father, two on the Son, and then three and four on the Holy Spirit. John Calvin, twice as much on the Holy Spirit as the other people. That sounds strange to reform people, doesn't it? Because we're all about the Holy Spirit. But what do you do, right? I mean, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Second blessing? You hear these strange terms in Christianity to describe outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I once heard a theologian asked, um, do you believe in the second blessing? And he's like, yeah, it comes right after the first and before the third. In other words, the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives comes again and again and again, right? We come into this space, and the Holy Spirit is here and is at work, and yet when we pray, we invite him to come in. What is that all about? We try to reconcile that and by saying, well, is it this or is it that? And I think the truth is, it's, it's a both and. In the book of Acts, there are people who receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. There are people who speak in tongues before they're baptized but haven't received a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, sometimes I feel like the Holy Spirit's job is just to be like, don't try to reduce me to a formula. Because I'm God. And I need you to know how I want to move you we don't get to manipulate him but see this juxtaposition that's so important for Paul for us to understand did you receive the spirit by works of the law and after beginning by the spirit would you rather finish with the flesh does God give you his spirit or by works of the law see when we talk about the law here what we're really talking about is how is it that we are made right with God right if you want to add anything to the work of the cross what we've done is engaged in an act of pride so the cross has accomplished everything that was ever needed for us on our behalf everything else in christianity all the outworkings of our life is a response of gratitude to that not a putting us putting god in a better mood toward us when he looks at us and that's what paul's getting at when he's talking about the law in books like galatians and elsewhere He's saying you want to add some degree of human effort to what Christ has already accomplished, but that's not what your good and beautiful deeds are for. That's not what the fruit of the Spirit are for. That is not what the gifts of the Spirit are for. They're not to make God like you more. They're not to make you a person who sins less. It's not just about all of that. God is enamored with you. He is delighted in you because of what Christ has accomplished. The rest is all come and enjoy this with me. Come and receive the invitation. Come and be in relationship with me. And relationships grow, you guys, when we share experiences. Think about this with every other person here. You came to a campus. Many of you were strangers. But you hung out on a Friday night or you shared a game of cards together. or You told a story about a breakup or a heartbreak or something that went on in your life. And then you felt bonded more together afterward. The Holy Spirit's invitation for us is to engage in experiences with him. When I want to bond with my son, we go on a road trip. And then we've got stories to tell, and it shapes us. And for the rest of our lives, the things that we saw and the food that we ate all become part of our story. If we are not actively seeking out experiences to share and invite and open our eyes to see God in the middle of with us, we cannot grow and will not grow in intimacy and in relationship with him. Some of us need to go on a road trip with the Holy Spirit. Some of us just need to lean a little further into these experiences that he's inviting us into so we can enjoy him more fully. Because even when this text is done, this is where it all ends up, right? So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand now how key this is, not just for Paul, but for Jesus even before this. Because the law is only about what you do. And the spirit is about who you know. And your Christianity is not a behavior modification project. It is not about how you behave. Let me say this loudly and clearly. Your Christianity is not primarily about how you behave. You are not here to become a better person. You are here to grow in a relationship with a triune God. And out of that... Transformation comes. The Christian life is an invitation into a relationship with the Trinity. Your Christianity is an invitation into a family built on unconditional love, moving toward and for the redemption and perfection of all things. And at its core, it is not about your behavior. It is about your belonging. And the Holy Spirit is the one that creates the sense of belonging for you in this world. At the center of the multiverse is a relationship. The theory of everything, for those who are in Christ, is that at the center of everything, there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, dwelling in perfect unity and inviting you into fellowship with that family. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in that famous passage in Romans. But I want you to hear this again now. Focus on what the work of the Spirit is doing in creating your adoption into the family of God. Highlight in your brain right now the Holy Spirit and his works. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. See, the Spirit's leading to your place in a family. And that spirit that you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. No, no, no. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, that is the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory, It's the invitation into the family and the work that gets done that makes this happen. The person who wrote your adoption paperwork is the Holy Spirit. Now to come into the family of God and not enjoy and move deeper into that intimacy and that relationship is like being adopted into a family and then saying, well, the court case was fine. I just wanted it on paper. I don't actually want to enjoy the family that just adopted me in. That would be a crying shame. That's the whole point of adoption. I'm an adopted parent. I understand this. You adopt somebody, you bring them in. I didn't want to just go to a court one day. I didn't want to have some lawyers sign some papers. I wanted a child. in My family, under my roof, at my table, to go on vacation with, to tell about Jesus. The Father wants the same thing, and the Holy Spirit is the vehicle that makes this happen. It's the person, the vehicle, it's the one who's making all of this stuff come together. Gordon Fee is in his landmark book, God's Empowering Presence, as he talks about the work of the Spirit all through Paul's epistles, always writes it like this, my capital S slash small s spirit. You heard that in the last passage, right? The Spirit testifies himself, or himself, testifies with our spirit. There's a cooperation aspect of what the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. He wants us to become partners, co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs of that kingdom, co-conspirators in the movement and inbreaking of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. And so we become intertwined, and not in like an Eastern mystical sense, but in a biblical mystical sense. And the end game isn't Nirvana, it's belonging. It's a family of unconditional perfect love. This is why Jesus, when he's setting the disciples up to found the church, to be the people of God, gets so excited in his last words about the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate. Now, understand in Greek, right, there's two words for another. Allos, another, and ateros, another. Allos, another and ateros another, kind of like the difference between identical and fraternal twins. Allos is another of a similar kind. It's one just like it. Ateros is another of a different kind. Right? Like I could tell you, right, you can trade in my Chevette for your BMW because I got another car. Well, that's not really the same car, right? That's another, ateros another, allos another, an identical twin kind of another. And I went back to this passage, and I'm like, Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit to us like his identical twin. You think I'm good, and I get to walk beside you? Wait till my twin brother comes along who lives in you. You thought this was cool, God coming to live beside you? Well, now I want to come inside. I want to be so close with you that every time the world lies to you, I speak truth, and I point you back to my Father. And every time you're up against obstacles that feel impossible, the same resurrection power that was alive in me will be alive in you because the Holy Spirit that came in me is now going to come in you. And every time you face hardship, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to speak this over you again and again. I'm going to wash you in truth. I'm going to empower you with supernatural gifts. I will allow you to understand and walk differently in this world than everybody else. To walk in the Spirit is not to be a better behaved person. To walk in the Spirit is to be a person more alive than the other human being beside you because you understand your existence and you understand your identity and you understand that you already belong and you understand you don't have to perform for anybody else because you are already perfectly loved. Which is why Jesus gets so excited about his identical twin. You know him. He lives with you. He'll be in you, Jesus says. And I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you alone. No matter how freaky the world around you is starting to look, I will not leave you alone. You foolish Americans... After starting with an invitation to the Spirit, do you really want to turn this back into a behavior modification project? And that same passage just keeps going of Jesus' invitation, of his excitement of what's going to happen when the Spirit comes. On that day, you'll realize I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And the one who creates this bonding between us all is the work of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand him. You need to invite his work in your life. You need to be surprised and delighted by him. You need to fall in step with where he wants to lead you at every stage of the game in your life. You need to trust him more than you trust your own impulses. You need to learn how to trust his call to you for self-denial rather than your own for self-preservation and self-advancement. Call it whatever you want. Second blessing, third blessing, fourth blessing, whatever. Just give me more, Holy Spirit. And I know this room was already full of it, but somehow we're called to be filled to the fullness. I don't even know what that means. And that's okay. I think all you got to be able to do is just be like, God, I want more. Whatever Holy Spirit stuff you got, and whatever I've tasted, I want it again. And I want it more. And I've read the stories about what you've poured it out in special ways at different epochs and moments in history, and I want to see you do it again. Because we need it, and we need you. Jesus gets so excited in the conversation about his twin brother coming. Very truly, I tell you, and I, give me a little license here. I'm playing with this notion of twin brother. I'm just trying to help you understand. We need to think in, in adoration terms about the Holy Spirit in the same way that we do with Jesus, because that's how he described him, another of a similar kind. But very truly I tell you, Jesus says, it's for your good that I'm going to go away. Contemporary prayer phrase, you think I'm fun to hang out with? you got to meet my brother. You're going to love him. And then Jesus says this, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. There is a spirit that wants to guide you into all truth in your moments of indecision of life and in your confusion. He wants to guide you. And he won't speak on his own. He's not going to fly off the handle. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. You get to know and have a peace in your spirit about a world that is floundering all over the place around you because the king of kings tells you so. And he'll glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. From the Father to the Son, pass to the Spirit, who now wants to bring it about in us. That's the movement. That's the movement. Billy Graham, in his ministry, and meandering all over the country, and as an itinerant preacher, once said this. Everywhere I go, I find God's people lacking something. They're hungry for something. Now hear hear this, you guys. I think this speaks to our moment so clearly. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected. And they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever the next thing is in your life, whatever you are wanting next, whatever you want more of in terms of your transformation, your spiritual fulfillment, your realization of your own identity, it cannot and will not happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's your next. That's our more. It cannot be manufactured by human hands. So we plead the Holy Spirit to come and do those things in us. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer for that and ask the band to come on up and lead us in closing song as well. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are daring to ask you for more. sometimes even just trembling because we don't know what that means. Or you might want to uncover something in our lives that maybe we weren't ready to give you yet. But we know that you always have what's best for us in mind. That you love us better than we love ourselves. And what we could not do for ourselves, you went and did for us. You have proved it. You have done it. And we need to trust it. Lord, will you call us? Will you lead us? Will you make us fall more in love with your spirit? And we admit that there are things about this we just do not understand we cannot comprehend. But regardless of all of those things, we're just gonna pray more. More of you in our lives. So Spirit of the living God, I ask right now in this moment that whatever that place of need is in each one of us, that you would give us the courage and strength right now in our inner being to open up a little bit more and just cry out for more of you. When we don't even have the words to articulate the longings that we have, you've already promised us that your spirit will do that translation for us. So we thank you. And whatever native tongue we speak, whatever groanings we have, from the inside of our being, more, more please.